Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Of course, Psalm 119 is the longest uh, ver uh, chapter inside of the Word of God. That it is segmented out into eight verses apiece and 22 segments. And every verse except for one speaks about the Word of God. And it gives the Word of God as one of its synonyms, whether it's the testimonies or the commands or the statutes or God's Word. But it all speaks about God's Word. And the setting is, is that there's a, the psalmist. We don't know exactly who it is, though there are plenty of guesses. My personal opinion is that it is Daniel. But whoever the psalmist is, he is by himself. He is isolated. He has every intention to do what's right in a world where everyone around him is telling him not to do right. Even those that claim to be believers and those that should be following God are trying to get him to stop following God. And he's surrounded by opposition and he's been personal attacked. He's been suffering quite a bit. And the whole time he has been anchoring himself upon the word of God. It's the word of God that gives him hope. It's the word of God that keeps him going. It's the word of God that he is checking and cashing in as God's guarantees, as God's promises. And that's what's been keeping him going when he is all by himself, isolated, alone, overwhelmed. And it becomes too much. So notice with me, if you don't mind, in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 21. Psalm 119, and in verse number 21, the Bible says this. I have done judgment and justice. 121, sorry, 121. I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Be a surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. It is time for thee, O Lord, to work. For they have made void thy law. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Psalm 119? Psalm 119 in verse 126. Psalm 119 in verse 126. Notice what the psalmist says. It is time. It is time. And with the Lord's help, we're going to see as the psalmist now who is surrounded by afflictions, he's surrounded by enemies, he utters this statement, it is time. Why would he say this? Well, he's got to the place 
that we would all get. Remember this, the poetical books, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are the poetical books and they deal with the heart issues of man. And with the heart issues of man, we know that there are some times that you feel things that may not be true. Yep. They may be times that you feel things and the, the psalmist here is expressing a frustration. And he's done something that perhaps you've done. Lord, it is time. Work, God, work. And he gets to the place of impatience that he actually tells the God of the universe what to do. It is time. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. Now, I don't know how... Many times you've gone up here where you've gone to the frustration and you've said, listen, why doesn't it work? Why come? God, just work. Lord, it's time for you to do something. I've been waiting all this time. That impatience can bring us something. And we see the impatience come up into the psalmist's life. And if you don't mind, as we see this, let's learn something about God and learn something about the psalmist and learn something about God's word. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention here, it's time to deliver me. It is time to deliver me. One of the problems that we have as humans is perspective. It's a matter of perspective. What do we mean by this? That so often when we go through problems, our problems seem so close up. And because they're right in front of us, because they're right there, they seem so big, they seem so overwhelming, they seem so dire, they seem so traumatic, that that's all we see. But we need to learn to look beyond those issues, those problems, and see the God behind them, the God who is so big. Do you know, those problems may seem giant to us, but next to God, they are so small. Next to us, we look and see that they're impossible. There's nothing I can do. They're overwhelming. I'm going to be crushed. God, do something. And God is sitting on his throne. You know, the one thing about God is that he never panics. You know, they say that when you fly and, and are in an airplane and you hit turbulence, that you're supposed to look at the stewardess or the steward eye or whatever you call the men that fly. And you uh, say, look at them and see how they respond. And if you hit turbulence and they're still smiling and serving drinks and giving out peanuts, then you know you're going to be fine. But if you look at the stewardess and the steward eye and you see the hit turbulence and they're running to go put their seatbelt, you know you're in trouble. Well, the same thing's true here. That when we hit some turbulence and we hit some issues and we hit some bad things, we may look at that thing and, oh no, this is it. We're getting shook to death. And you look up to heaven. And as long as God is not panicking, you know you're all right. That God's not sitting on his throne and rubbing his head and saying, oh man, what am I going to do? How are we going to solve this? He's not wringing his hands nervously and say, oh no, oh, I don't know what's going to happen here. He's not pacing his throne room and saying, all right, all right, got to figure something out. God is sitting on his throne. Everything's all right in my father's house. Everything is all right. There will be joy, joy, joy. We can trust him. We can depend upon him. We can look at him. God is a good God. And we have to learn to do that because our first instinct 
is panic. To give in to the overwhelming nature. We know that there are many things that come in our life that are too big for us, without a doubt. But we have to look beyond them and see the God who has everything under control. You see, it's a matter of perspective. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but in your mind, you just raise your hand. Don't raise your hand there. How, how many people tend to be panicky people? It doesn't take much for you to go, oh no, what are we going to do? What, what did you do? Oh, oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Probably more people are panicky than what you would think. It's our natural response that when we come to something bigger than us that, oh no, oh, whoa. You have to learn to look beyond the problem and see the God behind it. That everything is all right. My God is sitting on the throne. He's not panicked. Everything's well in hand. Things have never lost his control. But we could relate with a psalmist. Lord, it's time for you to work. Lord, it is time. God, do something now or I perish. God says, I know the way that you see things, but things are all right. It's going to be all right. I've got things. Look at me. Look at me. Notice with me in verse number 21. I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to my oppressors. He goes on and says, Lord, I've been doing the right thing. I've done judgment and I've done judgment, uh, justice. I've followed your word. I followed your judgments and I follow injustice. I've done the things that are right. Lord, leave me not to my oppressors. Don't abandon me. Don't let them overwhelm me. God, you got to do something. Again, he's seeing the problem here. He's trying to say, God, I've done all these things. Don't leave me alone. Don't abandon me now. I need you to do something. I'm overwhelmed. Verse 22. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Once again, he is still trying to say, God, you need to take care of the situation. You've got to do this. I'm reaching out to you because I can't do it. They're still oppressing me. They're still around me. Guard me. Protect me. Be of surety for thy servant for good. Lord, do something for good. Interesting enough, notice again in verse 122. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Psalm 119, 122 is the only verse in Psalm 119 where the word of God is not mentioned in one of its synonyms. It's the only verse within here. Why is this significant? Well, he has been taking God's word as a written guarantee throughout this psalm. He says, your word says it, I believe it. I've been trusting in your word. I've been trusting in your justice, your judgment, your statutes. I've been trusting your commandments. But here he's going beyond God's written word and he's going to God's living word and going straight to him and say, God, I'm trusting you. Be of surety for thy servant for good. I'm going straight to God. I'm going to beyond his promises and saying, Lord, I need your help directly. I've been trusting your word all this time. I'm telling you, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you to help. Verse 123, mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy 
righteous. In verse 123, it's painting a picture. My eyes fail for thy salvation. Remember the word salvation, especially in the Old Testament. We have to be clearly defined. We know that the New Testament term of salvation carries the idea that I realize that I'm a sinner and because of my sin that I have... um, I owe God a great price. I deserve hell. I deserve eternal separation. But Jesus paid my price and I accepted him as my savior. I came to a place where I accepted him. That's the New Testament version. In the Old Testament, oftentimes that word salvation just simply means to deliver. To to take me, to um, deliver me from a situation. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, deal with thy servant. Sorry, verse uh, 23. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation. I've been looking for your deliverance. I've been searching. I've been wondering, is it here? It gives kind of a picture here of some shipwrecked sailor on a deserted island who's looking across the waves and the horizon, looking for his salvation. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. Lord, somewhere, where's my help? I'm stuck here all by myself. I'm isolated. Is there someone out there? Are you sending help? He says, my eyes fail for it. He gives a picture of, of a fortress who's being besieged by an army, an overwhelming army. And the people are on the walls looking at the hilltop, seeing if there's any help, any reinforcements, if there's someone coming, some signal that says that we're supposed to stay our ground, hold the fort for I'm coming, looking for something. He says, my eyes fail to see your deliverance, your salvation. I don't see how I'm getting out of here. I don't see any hint that you're getting me out of here. I'm... I'm stuck here. I'm overwhelmed. I'm telling you, Lord, I need your help here. He said, my eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. He says, I'm trying to find out your, your word. I'm looking for something. I'm looking in your word, trying to find deliverance, trying to look for anywhere. Verse 21, 24, deal with thy servant according to thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. If God was going to make him wait for the promise, then the psalmist was going to have to be fortified, strengthened up by God's word. In 124, notice how the psalmist links God's mercy with God's laws. Deal with thy servant according to thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. He understands that mercy and morality go hand in hand. If I want God's mercy, then I should be obeying God's laws. You know, so many times people will get to the place where they're overwhelmed. They ask God to deliver them, but they haven't been in God's word. How can you expect God's promises to help you if you haven't been in God's word, if you haven't been obedient to God's word. There's a song that our, sing, our kids have sung, we learned from somewhere else. You can't stand on promises if you don't know what they are. That's such an important thing. If you haven't been in God's word, you haven't been obeying God's word, how can you expect God to help you in your time of need? You know, some people go and think that God is a Santa Claus in the sky. Meaning that he's there to give us our Christmas wish. He's like a genie in the bottle that we rub it and then we give our wishes and then God obeys our command. That's a wrong view of God. God is the creator of the universe. Why should he help someone who's going to turn around and disobey him? Why should God help and answer their prayers if they're going to blaspheme their name? Why should God help them 
and put the effort of doing something for them, if they're going to turn around and use that life and health and strength to take God's name in vain. What does it mean to take God's name in vain, by the way? Taking God's name in vain is not just using God's word as a curse word, by the way. You should not do that. God says he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So you should never say, oh my, and then put God's name or use Jesus Christ as a curse word. Be very careful with those things. But that's not all that it means. If you call yourself a Christian, but don't behave as a Christian, you've taken God's name in vain. You make God's name lightly. There's something about carrying someone's name. For example, um, <laughs> when I was growing up, there would be certain things that we don't do. Why? Because you'll bring a bad thing. This is not what Bach houses do. Maybe your parents said something similar. Or maybe your school said something. Hey, you're representing our school. Don't act stupid when you're out on this field trip. You're representing us. Well, if you call yourself a Christian, but you don't represent your heavenly father, your savior, well, you're taking God's name in vain. If God, why should God answer your prayers if you are just going to give him a black eye? Does that make sense? Could you come up with a valid reason why it would be in God's interest to help if you have no desire to obey him? Does it make sense? This is why the psalmist here is saying, I have obeyed your laws. Help me. Verse 124 again. Deal with thy servant according to thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. He says, you help me. You give me mercy. And I'm making a pledge that I'm going to continue to follow after you. That's something that God can get behind. That's a big deal. So we now come to something else here. We see that first of all, it is time to deliver. But we also see it is time to give me understanding. It is time to give me understanding. Notice with me 125. Psalm 119, 125. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. The psalmist is still pleading God for action, but the action he's now asking for is give me understanding. Give me understanding. I'm your servant. I need understanding so I can serve my master intelligently. Lord, if this is what you would have me to do, let me know. I want to serve you the best I can during this. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. I need this. Tell me what you want me to do. We're thankful that God has given His Holy Spirit to give us illumination. The word illumination means to let the light in. And there are times that we may be in darkness about a situation. Lord, I don't even understand why I have to go through here. God can give us understanding, open the light on and go, okay, now I understand. Now I could see God had a plan. Now I could see what God was doing. Sometimes that's what we need. That if we know that God's got a plan through here, we can endure it. If we know that this is going to bring glory to him, we can endure this. Maybe it's a hospital visit. I don't understand if God's such a good God. Why do I have to be in the hospital? Well, it could be that there's someone there that needs to be witnessed to. That someone needs to see an example of being able to suffer without complaint. And being able to say God's still good and God's still right. By the way, if you've never listened to the message by John Bishop about God is so good, I encourage you to do that. It is up on our website and I can send the link to you. But basically, John Bishop was a preacher who um, 
He was a pastor of a church and he he uh, contracted spinal uh, meningitis. Basically, there was an infection that came into his spinal fluid and his brain fluid that was going to kill him. This is a very serious thing. So the doctors did what they were supposed to and gave him the antibiotics to fight that infection. However, he was allergic to the antibiotics. And the result of that is that he lost his entire memory. All of it. And it never came back. He had to relearn how to talk. He was married. He had to relearn who his wife was. He had to relearn everything. And he still doesn't speak well because there was some of the brain damage. But he ha- he's still a preacher. And he has a ministry. God is so good ministries. And he says, God is so good. God is so right. God was right to allow this to happen to me. God was right to allow the, the infection to hit my brain. God was so good to allow the medicine to make me lose all my memory. Because God has done so good because of it. To hear someone to go through that tragedy and say, you know what? God gave me understanding. This wasn't because God was mean. And it wasn't because God was evil. And it wasn't because God was bored and decided to mess with someone that day. God had a plan. And he knew what he was doing. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I can trust you. You just give me understanding. Let me know that there is a purpose for it. That's all I need to know. That you have something that you're doing through this. This is going to make an impact. This is going to matter. God always moves with purpose and plan. When making a man, oh, we're so thankful that when we go through these fires, we could come forth as gold. God knows what he's doing. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, it's time to give me understanding. Just let me know that you've got something going on. Give me illumination. Show me what you're doing. Let me know that you've got something going on here. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. He says, if you just let me know that it's, you've got a plan from here, I'll continue to obey you. He's not making a deal with God. He's trying to say, Lord, I'm planning on continue. Just let me know that this is, this is, you've got something for this. As we go on, we can see it's time to work, Lord. Time to work, Lord. Verse 126. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. For they have made void thy law. And again, we had started off with here. This is is impatience. Imagine a person get to the place where they feel like they can order God to work. How often do we feel like we know all the answers? That's something that happens. Lord, you need to work. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to answer the prayer. We, We... Talk to God in prayer like we're trying to tell him what to do and give him advice. We're, we're, we're counseling God of how to get his job done. Then what happens is that we find out we knew nothing at all. Nothing. That God was doing something that we couldn't even think or imagine. God knew what he was doing. It's us that are in the way. Come on, God. This is what you need to do. Don't you see how clearly it is? If you would just save the the biggest Hollywood star, that all of the people would get saved. God says it doesn't work that way. 
Well, listen, you know that coworker that I have who just hates my guts? You know what? You just do something with them and my life will be easier. God says that's not how it works. And we like to counsel God and try to say, Lord, if you take care of it this way, I meant, man, if you just allowed our president just to change his views, our whole country would change. God doesn't work that way. God says, I know what I'm doing. And we find out that God was doing something through it the whole time. And we go, oh, oh, wow. I'm glad God didn't listen to me because I would have wrecked the whole thing. That's why we're not God. We would have definitely wrecked everything if we were in charge. The Bible says in, in the book of Job, uh, verse uh, chapter 38, I believe, that he says, uh, who can cast out lightnings? How many of you have someone who's lucky to be alive because you can't cast out lightnings? Amen. <laughs> That's why God doesn't give us those powers. Because we don't have enough information. We don't see the bigger picture. And yet, we still... Pause. I hope that you've been praying, but maybe you can look in your prayer life in recent past and see some time where you were counseling God and instructing him of what he should be doing and how he needs to fix things. We have to be careful with this. God knows what he's doing. He doesn't need religious advice from us. What he does want is for us to pray, trust him, and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? But he's saying, has the goal, and by the way, we shouldn't pick on him because I think this psalmist is a lot more right with God than we are, but we can understand this where we start instructing God. I know I've been guilty of it. I know I'm probably not the only sinner in here where you've told God what you want, what you want him to do and how he should get it done. It is time for thee to work. What arrogancy that we have from time to time. Lord, this is what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. I expect it to be done before I get home. Like we're giving a checklist to our kids, expecting them to have all the laundry done before we get home. God says, I've got it. I've got it. The psalmist's only complaint, really, throughout this whole psalm, is that he felt like he had to ask God to work. He couldn't understand why he had to ask it all. Oh, God, why do I feel like I have to work? Now again, it's the psalmist problem, not a God problem. But again, have you ever been there where you feel, why do I even have to ask? God, how come you're just not automatically doing this? God knows what he's doing. We can trust him. Which brings us to one last thing. It's time to love what you love. It's time to love what you love as he's addressing God. Verse 126. It is time for thee, O Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Therefore, so because of all of this, because I could trust God's word, because God knows what he's doing, therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. As we come to this, we see the word therefore. Because of the expectation of God working, that's what he was asking, God work. Because of this, he says, I'm going to love what you love. We should love God's word because God loves his word. In fact, that's the only thing that God has placed above his name is his word. And if God loves his word, we should love what God loves. If we're truly on God's side, if we're truly submitted to him, we should love what he loves, especially if we have the expectation he's going to do something. 
If we think God is going to work, we should respond by faith like he is going to work. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. So in verse 127, he puts a monetary value on God's word. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold. All right, don't raise your hand. But think about this. If you had a choice of reading God's word or having a bar of gold, which one would you take? Don't raise your hand. But think about that. Be honest. So often, that gold sounds more entreating. How do you know? Well, do you want to read God's word even if you didn't have gold to choose from? Is it valuable to you? Is it something that you want? If you won't read God's word when you don't have a choice, you definitely wouldn't read God's word if you had the choice. Do you love God's word? Is it something that you want to do? Is it something that you look forward to doing? If someone has to twist your arm to read God's word, beg you to read God's word, you don't love God's word. And if you don't love God's word, you don't love what God loves. There's something wrong. But if you truly believe that God is going to work, you truly believe God's going to do something, the therefore should be in your life. Therefore, I'm going to love your word. Again, we go back to the same principle I was talking about before. If you're expecting God to deliver, why should he? If you're not going to obey his word, if you're not going to worship him, if you're not going to love what he loves, what benefit is it to God to heal Aunt Sally from her gout if Aunt Sally's going to curse God for the rest of her days? What benefit is it going to be to deliver you from whatever financial crisis you may have if you're not even going to bother to read God's word? What benefit is it to him? God is not our servant. We should love him. If we're expecting him to work, we should respond to him by loving what he loves. And we start with God's word. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. That's always a good test. If you had the choice of reading God's word or getting money, what would you choose? Again, don't raise your hand. This should be an honest evaluation. And if you're not reading God's word anyways, well, then you already know the answer. Well, whereas 127 puts monetary value on it, verse 128 puts a morality value on it, a moral value on it. Verse 128, therefore, so there's that therefore again. Verse 27, therefore, so because I'm expecting you to deliver, because I'm expecting you to work, therefore, I'm going to love your word. Because I'm expecting you to work and because I'm expecting you to deliver, therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. When God's word said something about a subject, it is correct. If someone contradicts the Bible, they are wrong because the Bible is correct. Notice he finishes up verse 20, uh, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. He says, listen, because I believe you're going to deliver, because I believe you can keep your word, I love your word. Because I believe you're going to deliver. Because I believe you're going to keep your word. I love your word. And 
I recognize that your word is right. You're always good and you're always right. And anything that contradicts the Bible is wrong and I'm not going to follow that way. Does that make sense? So, let's say that you have something that you need to be delivered from. All right, Lord, I'm expecting you to deliver and I really believe you're going to deliver. Wonderful. Then someone says, listen, you don't have to go to church to be right with God. Okay, I like that because I'd rather watch something on TV. Does that match up? No, because God's word says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of such is. Now, it doesn't affect our salvation, but it affects our trusting in God. If you don't show up to church every time you have the opportunity to, you're not going to trust God. Does that make sense? Because you have to determine if God's word is right. Is God's word right? Then it's right all the time, not just part time. It's right all the time. And we don't get to pick and choose. If God's word says it, it's correct. Even if it goes against things that we have been taught before, goes against some morality that the world seems to have, we choose the Bible. And that has to be a decision. If God is right, if he is good, if he is able to deliver, if I believe he's able to deliver him, then I also have to believe that God's word is true and God's word is right. Because it's how I learn about God. It's what I find the promises over. This is the conclusion that he comes up to. Simply is, if I expect God to work, then I also have to love God's word. If I love God's word, I have to believe God's word. Because I trust God. So, when we come to it, how do you trust God? Well, if you're not in your Bible, you don't trust God. How do I know that I trust God? Well, if you don't believe by God's word is true in all things, then you don't trust God. It makes it simple. We make things complicated. Can you trust him? How do I know if I'm trusting him? Then you're obeying God's word. If you're not obeying God's word, you're not trusting him. Makes it so simple, right? God's word is simple. We make things complicated. We can trust God that he's bigger than any situation, anything that we can face. Our response by faith is to take God at his word. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.